severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello, I am Jamie McKinley and welcome to episode 27 of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives from across the creative industries and today we have another great episode lined up for you. But first, I just wanted to say if you are a new listener, Welcome to the podcast. If this is your first time, I hope you enjoy. To all our returning listeners, thank you for coming back. Thank you for your continued support. I was actually having a look this morning and I saw we'd got some more lovely five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts from some people. So I really appreciate anyone who's been leaving us them. Honestly, goes so far in helping us to be seen and stuff. So if you can spare the time to leave us a wee five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be very much appreciated. Other things you can do to support the podcast is if you can afford to donate whatever you can a month to the Patreon page, all that money goes back into the podcast. So there's a link to that in the show notes. Uh, another thing you could do, and probably the best thing actually, is just, just word of mouth, tell people to listen, share us on social media, tell friends and family to listen. All that stuff goes a long way in growing the podcast. But yeah, before I get into today's episode, I've got a few things to, to talk about. So I just wanted to plug a few things actually, because I was meaning to mention this on the last intro. And the thing with intros is you only have a few minutes, so it's, you usually try and cram things in. So, and as I said in the last episode, it's been a very, very busy March for me. But um, so something I wanted to quickly take a minute to plug was a few weeks ago, I was asked to go on Joe's podcast. Joe was on episode 23 of the of Just Get A Real Job. I went on his podcast, Joe Talks, The Hunt for the Greatest Movie Ever. And that was a few weeks ago, and I put a link to that in the show notes, so you can hear me and Joe talking about Platoon, Rain Man, and and The Last Emperor. We talked about those films, and it was a good laugh. So if you want to hear my voice, if you haven't had enough of it already after today's episode, then please check out, link in the show notes. Another thing I just wanted to plug as well, I was asked a few weeks ago to do a Q&A for Creative Graduate, which is a a really great website and Instagram account, and, and Jess, who runs it, is doing amazing things. So... I did a, a Q&A for them and that was published on Friday. So there's also a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to hear me sort of talk about my experiences as a screenwriter, as a podcaster, just in my experiences in the arts in general, if you haven't heard enough of it again on this podcast, yeah, you can do that by clicking the link in the show notes. Oh, and before I forget, I just wanted to give a quick birthday shout out to Caroline, who was a guest on episode nine of the podcast. It's her birthday today. So a massive happy birthday, Caroline. Hope you have a very good day despite the restrictions. Okay, so before I introduce today's episode, I've got one more thing to do. And as you regular listeners will know, at the start of each episode, I will either read a poem of someone else's, a poem of my own, or one of the funnest things we do, which I've had a lot of good reviews for, um, is I read a bad review of a great film. And the reason I do this is, as artists, we all have to deal with rejection, we all have to deal with people criticising our work. But to make ourselves feel better, People hate, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like your work. People hate like great films and I love reading the bad reviews of them because it makes me feel better. So today I've got a really funny one to share with you and this is a bad review of Casablanca, which I think we can all agree is a timeless classic. Casablanca is a fucking masterpiece and honestly someone didn't like it. So here is their review of Casablanca. So they'd started the review by saying the most overrated film of all time. Style. What style? This had no style at all. And the script was just one cheesy line after another. I mean, it is cheesy, but it's great cheesy. Then they go on to say, it's the perfect soap opera. It fooled people into believing it's more than it was. And aside from Bogart, the cast was overacting to the extreme. It all just feels Disney-esque with a touch of musical wannabe. Also, I can't help but laugh at the special effects involved in this film. It was made in the 40s during the war. What is this person's problem? Yeah, they they said... It, the special effects involved in this film are terrible and the bad editing at times is laughable. Talk about hurrying a film in production. It was made in the war, mate. Anyway, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed countless classics over the year, but this is not a classic. It's an alleged classic and one I utterly detest. Burn it now, I say. But yeah, if you're working on a creative project right now, just remember that someone hated Casablanca. So there you go. You make you feel better. But anyway, without much further ado, it is time to introduce this week's episode. And this week... I had the chance to sit down and chat with Taylor Morgan. And Taylor is a magician. 
And honestly, I loved this conversation. It was so fun talking to Taylor and it was so interesting. I literally went about the whole week saying like, I got to speak to a magician this week. Like, how cool is this? So yeah, I hope you enjoy what Taylor has to say. I re- honestly, it was a really good conversation. So you're in for a treat this week, listeners. Enjoy. Hello, Taylor. How you doing? Nice to meet you. How's it going, man? Thank you so much for having me on. No problem at all. It's a pleasure that you're the first magician we'd had on the podcast. I was actually very excited to speak to a magician. I don't think I've ever spoke to a magician before, so this is uh, very new. Oh, that's amazing. That's cool. I, well, I'll take that quite proudly, the first magician. We'll, we'll see if it'll be the first of many or the, or the first and last. <laughs> I feel like maybe the first of many. It's, it's great to explore as many different like creative platforms and, and outlets as, as we can on the podcast. It's great to like just get a, a good range of people from across the industry, so... Yeah, it's great to have you on. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you, we often find as well, like they, they overlap in so many different ways. You know, there's so many people who have gone on to be famous in different art forms that that start in magic or acting or different things. Quite a lot of the celebrities that, that go around and host shows now started off as magicians or started off as that was their first kind of take into the performing world. I know Neil, Neil Patrick Harris is a magician as well. Stephen mm-hmm. Mulhern, he started out, out as magic and he kind of is trying to get back into it now. But if you look at him at the start of his career, that's what he was. I don't know if you've ever heard of the kind of kids entertainers dick and dom that yeah, yeah. Like kids I love, love, dick, well, love yeah. dick and dom back in the day <laughs> yeah one of the one of one of them I, I failed to remember which one but one of them was one the young magician of the year at the magic circle he was a you know quite oh, a really? magician at the time mm-hmm. i did not know that that's very interesting well i suppose like it is performance as well it is like almost acting in a way because as well as doing all your magic tricks and stuff on stage you're performing you're doing an act so yeah it very much is like performing absolutely yeah i think the difficulty with magic is that if you're sort of in air quotes a good magician a stage magician who looks into performance and character and all those different things i think it is absolutely acting at that point because you're you're playing a character but i think there is a lower level of magicians where you know and sometimes this is where magic kind of gets a little bit fuzzy in the brand of whether it's an art form or not is that there's also guys that just sit down the pub and do a couple of card tricks they learn and it's quite hard to with, with acting or singing you don't really have that if someone is a singer they you know and they can sing great or or maybe they can sing badly but with with magic you've got such a broad range of you have the guys that are on stage performing you know to thousands of people and then you've got billy down the pub who does a couple (laughs) of card tricks and they both call themselves a magician that's still the word that they use you know it's still oh i'm a magician but there's a big difference but it's it's interesting it's great to see that there's those different levels because it means that people of all abilities and kind of thing can can enjoy it no, it is really interesting. And it's like, you know, the whole name of the podcast, Just Get a Real Job, is all about this sort of attitude people have towards the arts and stuff. And I think like what you're saying there, there is maybe an attitude that people are like, don't really know what to make of magicians almost. If that, I don't know if you'd found that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, magic's a really, really strange one. And quite often when you meet a group of people and you say, I'm a magician, you'll quite often find that a bad magician has ruined their experience of magic um, <laughs> in the same way that sometimes a good magician has made their experience of magic amazing. But uh, I'll never forget, I used to perform, I don't do it anymore, but I used to do close-up magic at weddings and things like that. And I was once at a wedding fair that I was stood there kind of doing my magic and people would kind of walk around, I'm not sure been to a wedding fair but people kind of walk around in aisles and there's mm-hmm. there's stands and you stand there and you say you know my name's taylor i'm a magician do you want me at your event those sorts of things and uh, i showed them a couple of card tricks and there was this woman that was walking past me and i kind of it was a lull in the room so i kind of stopped and said hey would you like to see a trick and she went no i hate magicians i want to stab them and she carried on walking <laughs> wow and i was just stood there yeah i was just stood there in complete like okay that just happened and uh, i can't i can't think what sort of magic she must have seen to make her feel like that about magicians but hopefully it wasn't me (laughs) hopefully she hadn't already seen me somewhere else (laughs) (laughs) that's brutal And actually, I was saying at the start, I've never spoken to a magician, but technically that's a lie because whenever, for some reason, whenever I go down to London, I always have one of those people on the street come up to me and be like, would you like to see a card trick? And I usually don't trust that. I'm like, are they going to mug me? Are they going to steal my bag or something? Yeah, it's been a massive thing. You know, I, I think this whole like kind of social media now that everyone wants to be the street magician, everyone wants to be the dynamo and the, those sorts of things, which, you know, is cool. It's, it's nice that magic's getting a new fresh look. It's not, it's not my style. I, I, I try to take things back you know to to be as classical as possible uh, because it's what i personally enjoy but yeah there is certainly a load of that kind of stopping on the street hey do you want to see a magic trick or you know there's a lot of videos going out of people trying to turn you know receipts into money for homeless people and things like that and you know it's kind of cool that magic is getting a big look on the internet but you know the, the, i think sometimes that the 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 shoulders we stand on as magicians or performers in general do deserve a little bit more respect than than performing kind of hack magic on the street sometimes you know, obviously at certain times like Dynamo, 
did it amazingly and has built an amazing career for himself. Definitely. No, this is really interesting because, as I say, I don't know a lot about magic, so this is all new to me as well. But, uh, Taylor, we'd like to start the podcast by asking all our guests, like, what is your sort of earliest creative memories? Like, when do you remember, like, what age you started to really get into being a magician and, and you doing magic tricks and stuff? Yeah, so the, the, the very first time I became a magician, or say became a magician, first time I, I found an interest in magic, I was staying at my grandmother's house for the weekend. I was probably about 13 or 14 years old, but quite bored. There was a big storm out so I couldn't go out and play like I used to I was a, I was big into skateboarding at the time so you know even if I was just skating out the front on the street like that's what I'd want to do uh there was a big storm out so I couldn't leave the house and the film Now You See Me had just came out I'm not sure if you've ever seen it but really famous film about magic yeah, yeah. and there was a trick in this film where the the magician it was Jesse Eisenberg uh, in the film, he riffles down a deck of cards. The audience just look into it and they see one as the, as the cards are flicking by and he turns around and that card is on the building behind him in lights. Amazing trick, you know? And when I watched that, it just gave me this, oh, wow, that was awesome. That was just amazing. So I went rummaging through my grandmother's drawers trying to find a deck of cards to learn something. But I didn't really care about magic. I just saw the way they shuffled the deck of cards and I just wanted to do that. <laughs> And that's kind of how everything started, just taking a deck of cards and do what's called like a riffle shuffle where all the cards kind of flick down and then they, they bridge up and they go like that. Um, Make that amazing sound. That's all sound. I wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. That's all I wanted. I didn't want, I know it sounds weird, but looking back at it then, like I didn't want to be on stage really. I didn't really want to do what I do now, only because I didn't know about it. But at the time it was it was that case i just wanted to do that one thing and then when i accomplished that i had this feeling of accomplishment that i thought oh that was that was amazing i'd like to to do something else and then i saw a trick and i was like right i want to learn that trick and then that that feeling of kind of like you have a direct accomplishment when you learn something when you learn a trick or you learn a an effect or a routine that you can then share with people it, it's a feeling of instant instant gratification for you that you go well i saw something i learned it and then i i took it to my you know thing and i, and I did it whereas i think sometimes with with other art forms it's quite difficult to have that instant gratification you have to wait for people to enjoy it and I, and I think with a lot of magicians that is the key thing but for me it was never about performing for people as much as i do love performing for people it's it was about doing something that i loved and i cared about and I like, I get to do this thing and go, this is awesome. I love this, you know? And even if I was performing in a mirror to myself or I was performing to a group of 50 people, for me, I know that sounds maybe a little bit selfish, but I didn't care. It didn't bother me because I loved it, you know? And I, I'm, even if it was the most convoluted and, you know, cheesy thing or, you know, that the audience didn't so much, not that they didn't connect with that. I wanted them to enjoy it. But as long as I loved it and I thought that this was cool, then I wanted it to share it with people. No, that, that's, that's interesting. It's, I suppose you touched on this at the start, but like, everyone has a sort of different path and like, you know, sort of discover things at different times. So like you do something and then you end up doing something else you never expected. Like, for example, like I never expected to to go from being a screenwriter to, to doing this podcast, for example. So it's like, you know, you started off doing the card thing and now you're a performer and stuff as well. So I suppose it just, you know, life takes you in these unexpected journeys. And that's, that's an interesting thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better really, but the, this, the idea that you think, you know, what you want to be, I think, just it's completely malleable like you there's no way you could possibly fathom it like even when I first got my look into stage magic which is probably really the start of what I do now I wanted to be a comedy magician that's all I wanted to do and I would stand on stage and tell terrible jokes while doing magic and the truth is I'm not funny and it took me so long to learn that to just go I'm not funny why am I trying to be you know but but it was because I saw people doing comedy magic and I had never seen people doing the type of magic that I do now because it's very it's quite rare but at the time I'd seen people doing comedy magic and making rooms full of people laugh and I thought oh well, that's that's magic that's what I have to do whereas when I realized that sometimes you need that bluntness of you're not any good at that. You're not funny. You know, you're not a, a naturally, you know, you're a funny person when you're out with, with out with your friends having a beer, but you know, you're not a comedian. And that kind of, when, when I finally realized that it allowed me to find the grasp of what I do now, you know, which is the elegant, beautiful kind of gentleman styled magic that I love now. But I would never have found that if I didn't go through all these phases of failure of going, <laughs> I'm going to try a 15 minute comedy routine on stage and get two laughs possibly. <laughs> But I think there's, as a society in general, not just in the arts, but I think this is a problem with us as a society. We, it's people, for some reason, are really reluctant to sometimes admit when they maybe want to change their mind or that they're not good at something. And, and people see that as a failure, but I don't think it's a failure at all. I think, in fact, it takes a lot of courage and, and I think it's a success to be able to do that, to have the perspective to go, no, I'm, I'm not funny. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I think that takes a lot of courage. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't 
couldn't agree with you more. I think that the feeling in the world is today is everyone has to be good at everything and you can't tell people that they're bad or you can't do this or you can't do that. But you know what? The, the truth is you need to be able to. And whenever I've looked at talking to other magicians about things that might have asked my help or if I'm asking for help of other people, I want them to be as bluntly honest to me as possible and just say to me, that's not good. Don't do that. Because the thing is, if you have those, obviously you only need to listen to the people that you trust. But if you have that tight circle of people that you trust, and I have that, and I'm really, really lucky that when I'm working on something new, I can send that out to five people. And whether it's a poster I'm designing for a show, or whether it's a new routine, or whether it's anything like in between, I have those people I can send it out to, and they'll come back to me and go, that's rubbish, don't do that. Well, that's great. I like that part, but that's not. Because sometimes we get like such tunnel vision in our, yeah. in our heads of where we think we should be or where we think something should happen. And sometimes you need that person who's honest enough to say to you, hey, man, that sucks. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. Spot on. I think you, all, you need you need people that are going to read your work or look at your work and go, no, don't do that. Stop and keep you in check. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, Taylor, another question we ask all our guests is, and I'm interested because I actually haven't asked you this, but how is where you're from influenced your sort of creativity? Is like growing. So where are you from, Taylor? Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm from a bit of everywhere, really. Uh, I grew up in South Wales, in Swansea. Okay. So when I was about nine years old, my family moved to Spain. We lived in Spain for about four years and then, oh, maybe three years. And then we flew back to the UK and moved, moved back to the UK. And I just wanted to leave. I, I did not like Wales. I still don't really like it. Obviously, my family there, but it's. I live in a town where not much happens. My parents are farmers. So it's kind of like far into the thing, you know, my mom, my stepdad are a farmer, my dad runs a security company. So they're very, it's, it's, it's not a performing world that kind of yeah, I grew yeah. up in. And I found it quite closed off from the rest of the world that I wanted to be out there and over there, kind of always looking at the grass is always greener. So when I was 19, I moved to Spain, moved back to Spain on my own to perform at a magic theatre out there. And that really was what kind of, I know it sounds terrible to say, but it kind of pushed me out of Wales. And that's what I kind of wanted because I felt yeah, like I yeah. wasn't going anywhere. I was kind of stuck in a rut there. So as much as I wouldn't say it, it kind of fueled my creativity, but it kind of fueled it in the way of trying to, wanted to push me out of Wales <laughs> instead, of, um, instead of staying in there, you know. Because um, yeah. I used to perform at kind of like pubs in Wales, you know, and you get your, you performing on pool tables and things like that was, was kind of my, my gig up until then. And then, then I kind of moved away and saw the, the bigger stages and the bigger <laughs> possibilities. And that's what really fueled me. Now you'd said that I am starting to hear a bit of the, a Welsh twang in your accent, which I didn't detect before, I, actually. Yeah, I know. Do you know what? It's really, really crazy. So I kind of decided when I was developing my character, once I'd been in the industry a few years and I, I knew where I wanted to be, that person couldn't have a Welsh accent because... <laughs> You know, you, you can't have a, you know, I build myself as the English gentleman. You can't have an English gentleman with a Welsh accent. Um, that doesn't work. And B, you know, I think it's, then it's something that the audience will instantly notice about me and that I'd have to address on stage and I didn't want to. Uh, so I kind of worked a little bit to push my accent out. It's not completely gone, but the more time I spend in Wales, when I go back to see my family, it comes back slowly. But I try to kind of keep it keep it out mm. as much as possible, especially when I'm performing on stage. And uh, I have a lot of friends that are from all around the world, some of which from Scotland and England. And when I used to work with them in the dressing room, they just take the mick out of me for my Welsh accent. They'd uh, <laughs> say, I say here instead of here and things like that. And they'd all, uh, they'd wind me up. So they also help me push it away a little bit. Oh, I mean, you should never fully abandon where you're from, though, because it's not, you know, Wales is cool. We like Wales oh, and Scotland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's better than England, isn't it? You know, especially <laughs> if they're playing the rugby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I don't. You know, I, I love Wales. It's also one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Where, where I'm, where I live down the Gower, Gower Peninsula, it is an amazing place. It's beautiful and it's awesome. It's just, it's not the world for a performer. And that, that's yeah. the only problem. You know? which, yeah. They're very um, small, small, small town thinking, I think. Yeah, well, which is actually a very, very common thing we talk about on the podcast. Um, a lot of people talk about where they're from and how they had to sort of leave. And and I'm the same, like I've talked about countless times, but like, you know, I grew up in a small town, Glen Office, and it's just, it's not even that you don't like where you're from. It's just, there's not any opportunities there for you. It doesn't feel like there is. And that is maybe a shame and something I would like to do later in life when I'm maybe more established is to be able to give more back to where I'm from and like make those roots if that makes sense absolutely yeah I mean when I was 17 I did there was so little of stage magic in the area that or stage performance really full stop that I started my own little cabaret for the city of Swansea and we called oh, it wow. um, impressions of reality and we'd have different acts on sometimes we're like a drag artist a singer comedian magic little bits and bobs but just trying to sell 50 seats for it was just so difficult like it really really was and we, we almost always managed it I had to fill probably half the room with my family and friends at, at certain <laughs> points but 
it was really difficult but I did love that being able to try and give back to the city and be like look mm-hmm. there is cool things happening and people did kind of learn about it and go you know what this is cool to go watch a show for an evening and not just sit and go to the pub or sit and go here or go there but it is certainly I think it's something that's really admirable of people to, to go back to where they're from and try and create something and you know certainly the same as you when you know when my kind of days of traveling are done I'd certainly love to be able to go back and give something back and go well let's put something into place not just for the the people but also for the young performers that are coming yeah, up and absolutely. growing up in that town yeah that we get to go you know what there's something here for us you know you, you there's someone who you can look to and go can I come and perform tonight or can I come and do some gigs because at the end of the day the only way to get better at performing is performing whether that's acting yeah. magic music whatever it is the only way to do it is to do it more and if there's nowhere to do it it's really difficult absolutely 100 agree well my next question is and i mean it doesn't have to be a welsh word it can be from anywhere because i know you travel a bit a lot but do you have a sort of favorite word or phrase we should usually ask from where you're from but i mean if you want to have a spanish one that's also fine um favorite word or phrase well i don't know i, I think the the best welsh kind of word or phrase that i would say that i'm sure anyone would say is kutch i'm not sure do you I guys know that in scotland yeah, they say it on gavin and kutch. you said it on gavin and yeah yeah <laughs> yeah they would um yeah kutch kutch is a great welsh word it it's really really word. is yeah also like my when i was growing up my grandmother would always call me boys bach which is like I'm, I'm not really entirely sure what it means i think it just means boys boys or whatever but um boys bach that's what she'd always say oh, come on now boys bach and that's a great word i love that i love the i love the sound of that word Is yeah it- you'd never you'd never think how it was spelled i think it's like b-a-c-h so it's yeah. like boys batch, but bah. I mean, I might be absolutely butchering this now. There might be some Welsh oh, people listening going, that's not how you say that. That's not real. <laughs> well, if there are any Welsh people listening, I apologize, but you know, it's a good word. Yeah. I, I like the way yeah, that Taylor said, that Taylor said it. So it's staying yeah. on, it's staying on. <laughs> <laughs> We're changing the language on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in the research I've done for this uh, interview, Taylor, you started performing in nursing homes at the age of 16 and doing magic tricks. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it it was certainly an experience. It was crazy. It was so basically I started doing magic saying that this is what I wanted to do, but I was in nowhere near good enough to be a magician or or whatever that word really meant. So my uncle worked as something to do with the organization of nursing homes in the area and like residential living spaces basically. And he managed to arrange where I could visit every single one of them in the Swansea area. And he would pay they, they would just pay me tips on the day. So you know all the old ladies would put a couple of quid in a in an envelope and I'd get given the envelope at the end of the gig the very first one I did was a Chinese New Year party at a Chinese influence nursing home most of them didn't speak English which was a massive experience for me at that point now I'm quite used to performing for international audiences this was my first ever gig and I walked up to you know spread a deck of cards going do you want to see a card trick and they're looking at me like I don't know what you're saying. So that was really, really interesting, but it was cool. And I think it, it's what allowed me to learn to be where I am today. You know, it was it was something that directly affected, A, how good I was at how much I got paid at the end of it. The, the better I was, the more money I would get because people would want to tip you more because you, you did well. And also it was just this experience of performing for people who, didn't really have a lot else going on in their lives and that was quite nice as well I had a few really weird experiences with the people they were always funny old Welsh men dirty is the only really way to say it um they do I used to do this trick with these two little sponge balls and they were green and they were like kind of two inches in diameter and I put them two on the table and I went went to do this trick and an old bloke in the corner just went Ooh, those are the colour of mine, those are, like that. And uh, we all kind of just had a great had a great laugh about it. And they would, they, would always, they would always come out with something. But yeah, it was really, it was really cool. It was a great place to, to learn. I would never, ever want to go back to it because it was difficult. It was yeah, hard. Yeah. It was a great place to, to let me perform, you know, and to, to allow me to do it. And I used to have a moped that I used to get around on when I was 16 and uh, I'd be like in my in my suit on the mope on the back of, uh, you know on the moped going lifting up my seat pulling out my deck of cards and going into the nursing home and trying to trying to give them a, a, a small show but yeah it was it was great it was really fun and interesting and you know I think it's a great place for anyone to learn stuff you know and performing for people who you know what they didn't really mind if you messed up it didn't, you know it didn't matter it was you know it felt a bit embarrassing if it happened and it did happen at times but they were you know they were willing to to kind of give you the time of day 
No, that's great. And it's such a great place, as you say, to like sort of hone your craft. No, that, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So you said, we'll kind of go back to this, you touched on it before, but so at the age of 19, you, you said you moved to Spain and that's sort of where you really learned your craft and really sort of took that next step into being a performing musician. Um, magician, I should say. <laughs> Very different. Yeah, you don't want to hear me sing, guys. You don't want to hear me sing. Do you know what? That's, that, that is one of the most common things that happens. Like people mix the two up all the time. They're just very similar uh, sounding words. They are, aren't they? You know, it's happened on TV. It's happened everywhere. You know, it is, it's crazy. <laughs> I find it quite funny. I had it at a gig, actually, one of the nursing homes I once did. They put, uh, they made a little poster for me for the event that came up and it, it said Taylor, uh, well, at the time I was performing under the name Taylor Tricks, which is horrific. Um, but they were, <laughs> I was performing under that. There's a little scoop that I never want anyone else to know. But <laughs> oh, Thank you for the yeah. exclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if I ever make it, then that'll be my one, my one piece of shame yeah. on my career. Yeah, Taylor Tricks and it, it said musician, and I turned up with a deck of cards, and the, the people weren't exactly pleased. They thought they were getting some music for the afternoon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Spain, Spain was amazing. It was the best thing I've ever done in my life, and it was the greatest kind of decision that I ever made to move back there. I saw a, a post on Facebook looking for magicians to come out and work abroad, and do magic and it was like to me it was all the things I needed to do I needed to get out of Wales because I didn't feel like there was the opportunity there I wanted to be a full-time performer more than anything but at that point I was doing a couple of pub gigs a couple of nursing home gigs and a wedding once or twice a year it's not enough money to live off so Spain was kind of the answer to all those those problems they held the auditions in Blackpool which I'm not sure if you know about but uh, it holds the biggest magic convention in the world oh, most really? magicians in one place yeah every february blackpool magic convention between three and a half and five thousand magicians meet from all over oh, the world wow. they fly from america china everywhere and they meet at blackpool and that's where the audition was being held and i was going there anyway so i sent them a little application through and they, they allowed me to audition i was super super nervous didn't really know what i was going to do at the time but you know put my suit in the back of the car and went to Blackpool for the weekend and it was on the Monday morning and Blackpool's quite a heavy weekend of drinking for magicians you know they kind of meet up we go to the convention in the days and go out in the nights and things like that so you know everyone's quite hungover on the, on the Monday morning and I was sitting there in my kind of my grey suit waiting to go into this thing this job really that I didn't know a lot about I just knew it was in Spain and I just knew that it was to be a magician and then Really, if I'd have known then how much it would have meant to me, not that I didn't try hard then, but I would have been even more nervous because I now know how much if I didn't get that job, I would nowhere near be where I am now. And looking yeah. back at this, quite a scary thought, you know, at the time, you're just like, oh, well, if I get it, great. If I don't, I don't. But looking back, I'm like, if I didn't get that job, I'd, I'd be nowhere <laughs> right now. you know. And I'll always I'll always kind of say that. And it was for a place called House of Illusion in Salou, Spain, which is just just south of Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And basically what they do there is they have a magic theater where they do two magic shows a day, four days a week. And then they do some music shows the other days. And it's amazing. It's the most beautiful place. The theater is dinner style seating. So they sit around tables, they have some food and then the show comes on and there's a two hour magic show. And this was the first place that I got to meet other, what I would consider to be real magicians. People that didn't just do a little bit of close up magic, but did real stage magic and had developed characters and had things that I looked up to and wanted to be and really, really aspired to be. And the first night I got there, they allowed me to come and watch the show as a, as a customer. You know, I was not very good at this point. You know, I did the audition and I did some kind of coin magic, which was probably a little bit clunky and a little bit not very slick, but they must have seen something that they liked to me and the owner must have wanted me to, to be there. I don't know if it was just because, you know, I was young and maybe he saw some potential in me I would like to have hoped or, you know, maybe it was something else. But and I got there and the first night I watched the show. And I was staying, they put me up in a hotel for a couple of days for the first few days that I was there. And I went back to the hotel room after watching the show and I rang my brother and I said, I think I need to come home. I can't do this. It's too good. You know what I mean? I wasn't of the caliber that they were at. I watched the show and I was like, this was amazing. What, what am I doing here? You know, this isn't the place for me. It was really nerve wracking for me, really. I watched, you know, a few people, really a major note was a man called Alexander Wells, who played the, the character of a, of a Victorian magician. And he was amazing. He was the man who'd lived forever. And he had a big twirly mustache. He held the stage like 
almost no one I've ever seen before. He had this commanding presence about himself. One of the biggest things I always noticed about him is looking at his photos and watching him on stage. He looked really tall, but he, was, he, really, he wasn't that tall in person. But on stage, he had that presence about him that made him feel massive, you know? Another guy was Glenn Bonner, who performed amazing comedy magic. Just He did a routine 17 minutes long, and there was a point where people laughed every single 15, <laughs> 20 seconds. And people yeah. would, you know, side split in laughing every 17 seconds. Just I think they counted the jokes in it once. There was like 50, 60 jokes or whatever it was. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. You know, it's truly amazing. And then the owner was a guy called Rodney James Piper, who had a way with people like I've never seen. He manages to just get up there and just kind of work with people. I think it's years of doing kind of different holiday entertainment over the years and years and years. He's just got this this way with, with people that he can walk out and, you know, jazz things and be unprepared and still absolutely blow people's minds. And yeah, it was, it was truly amazing. And I was very, very happy to be a part of it. On my kind of first or second day there, the owner Rodney looked at me and said, uh, oh, Taylor, are you any good at dancing? And I kind of looked back at him and said, well, depends how many Jaeger bombs I've had, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and I found out basically he wanted me to be the illusionist. He wanted me to perform this, this sawn in half illusion with a big smoke tube appearance. Mm. And it was very, very weird to me. It was a very weird concept because I'd never done that before. I'd never been on on what I'd considered to be the big stage. And, you know, just walking. I was a skater at the time, you know. <laughs> I'd kind of walk with my shoulder slouch, you know, slumped down, hoodie on, that sort of, that style of what I was. And suddenly he wanted me, you know, to be this cyborg illusionist was kind of the, the, the idea at the time. And I couldn't walk from one side of the stage to the other powerfully, you know. I'm sure, you know, doing acting stuff, you know what that's like. You know how you need to walk and, and uh, how you need to have presence. I had none of that. And, you know, they taught me that there between, you know, him and the assistant I was working with, Mandy Fletcher, who's actually from Scotland as well. You know, they taught me not just how to perform magic, but literally how to walk again. I had to relearn how to walk. And yeah. when I came back six months later, everyone thought I'd grown because all my like, my friends and family were, oh, have you grown? Have you grown? I hadn't grown at all. It's just, you know, before I didn't walk properly because I was kind of, you know, like slumped down. And then suddenly I, feel I like, started walking yeah. with a little bit of feeling. Yeah. I feel like my posture is a bit slouchy sometimes. Like right now, I'm probably like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's a confidence thing as well. I think if you are very like more... I think people who tend to be have better high self-esteem and are more confident in themselves tend to have a better posture. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and then when you're telling someone who didn't, you know, like I was only literally just turned 19 years old. I moved mm-hmm. there on my 19th birthday and just watched this show that I felt dwarfed me as a performer. <laughs> Yeah, I had yeah. no confidence at all, you know, so it was really, really difficult. And really then I just spent four years there. And by the end of it, so when I got there, Alexander Wells was the, the guy I kind of looked up to massively amongst the other guys. But, you know, he was the head magician when I got there and and I kind of just wanted to be him, to be honest with you. You know, I watched him and, you know, I didn't want to do the same type of magic that he did because he had this amazing character. And I knew my character was different to that, but I always wanted to be him. And after four years of kind of being there, I finally stepped into the same sort of role that he had kind of before. And that really meant something to me. It meant something to me to be like, you know, I aspire to be like this guy. And unfortunately, he only stayed the one year and he went off to do his own thing. But I still speak to him all the time. You know, he's a really, really great person. But for me, it was a massive thing to be able to one day say, oh, I kind of got to that point where where I wanted to be, you know. So you were so you do you were there for four years, right? That's how long you spent there. Yeah, yeah. Well, my fourth year was 2020, and unfortunately, yeah, we had to we had to fly back to the UK halfway through. Well, in in the March, we had to fly back to the UK because you know I'm not sure if you heard, but COVID came. <laughs> What's that again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember COVID 19, 20, 21, whatever. Probably COVID 2023 by the end of uh, end of it. But yeah, yeah. Hello, it's Jamie and Elliot here. I hope you're enjoying today's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I just wanted to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. So please, if you can, share us on social media, tell your friends and family to listen. You can also support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your help. So anything you can do to help us grow this project is very much appreciated. We do appreciate your support as always. And if you would like to contribute or donate to our podcast, we also have a Patreon page where you could donate as little as much as you wish. You can access this by going to www patreon.com slash just get a real job so thank you very much again for all your support and you can also find a link to the patreon page in the show notes but anyway now back to today's show no but you moved some you did some online stuff didn't you you sort of did some magic stuff online 
Yeah, when it first kind of came about, I was really, in, well, not interested in it. I didn't really want to do it, but it was the only way I could perform for anyone. So I kind of put together a little show, Taylor Morgan's wonderful web show. And I thought that it was a way to, and it was, it was a way to earn a bit of money. I did a couple of corporates for places like Confuse.com, Intuit and other companies like that. The NSPCC I did a show for, and it was really cool. It was enjoyable, but it wasn't the same. You know, no, it was really, I feed off people and also I feed off kind of emotion. Everything I like to do, I like to have a little bit of emotion in it that's not making people laugh. That's trying to yeah, make yeah. people think and make people, you know, feel a little bit deeper. And one thing is during the time of COVID, no one really wanted to see that that much, I think in hindsight. So I had to change up my show a little bit, you know. I, you know, I quite like being quite sad, almost and emotional. You know, no, people don't need to see that right now. You know, they wanted something happier. And I did, you know, so I developed a show that was a bit more like that. And it was fully interactive. I, I did magic through Zoom. But awesome. it just didn't it just didn't feel the same. You know, it was just it was great. And I know a lot of people that are doing it now that are making their full time livings off that. And it's amazing for them. Just for me personally, I didn't feel like it was me giving the best product that I could to those people. If I wanted those people to see me perform, I want them to come to a live audience and I'll blow their minds and hopefully show them something that really makes them think and that they love. And I didn't want to waste that feeling. I didn't want to waste my impression on people through an online show you know I still do them from time to time but it's not something that I wanted to put out as my full-time kind of full-time work I know it's it's interesting like as well because I've, I've spoke to quite a lot of actors and people in theatre and things who have sort of been able to adapt to Covid and really put their stuff online and some people have done that very well and other people it's not that they haven't done it well they just, it just doesn't suit what they do and I think that's totally okay as well because it is a very different medium yeah and I think it comes back to what you said earlier you need to accept when you're not very good at something, you know, and as much as my show, you know, don't get me wrong, I would consider it to have been an average online show. I know there's some people who were smashing it and doing an amazing show. And I knew that wasn't in my, in my kind of locker, so to speak, you know, I, I didn't think I had that. I, I, I would have, if I'd have sat down and, and really, really, really worked on it, but I wanted to work on my live stuff because that's what I love. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of taken, taken the time to work on my, you know, on my live acts to try and make sure that when COVID ends, if it ends, I am there with the best possible thing that I can give to people. And I can share things with people that hopefully that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. That's that's all it's about to me. You know, yeah. as much as the money is a, a necessity to live, the performance and the gigs and the, the accolades of people going, oh, you're amazing. That's that's quite nice. You know, as any performer would experience, it is nice to have those things. But the most important thing and the thing that means the most to me is when someone comes up to me and says, I just love that. I love that so much. And they come back to me a year later, two years later, whatever, and say, I love that. That was, yeah. I remember that. That's all it matters. Because if you can stay in someone's memory because you did something special and you made them feel a certain way, that's all that matters, you know? Yeah, and that, that's it for me. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I put a photo up on, on my Facebook of my kind of pride and joy act, my balloon. And I had three or four messages from people who'd seen the act three years earlier. Okay. And had sent me a photo of, of the act and just said, we still can't, you know, we still think about it from time to time. And oh, that amazing. to me was like, wow, that's how, that's what makes me feel good, you know, because then they, you get paid for a gig, the money goes, you, you spend that. But that, that bit there is something that's cemented in those people's yeah. lives for as long as they remember it, you know. Yeah, you'd left something with them. You'd left an impression that will never go, which is the most, yeah, amazing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, you sort of touched on it there, Taylor, and I'm, I'm just really interested because I'm not being able to see, obviously, because we can't see live shows or anything. I've only watched a few little clips of some of your stuff online, but I'm just really interested in what you said about this emotional thing you, you sort of create. Because I know the clip I watched, you used this really invocative in music, which I really liked. And I just sort of wondered if you could maybe delve into that a little bit more for the listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's something that I am day in, day out trying to find the words to just describe it quickly to people when they say, hey, what do you do? I'm always looking for the words because I'll be honest with you, I can't really describe it very yeah. well. <laughs> I call it emotional magic. That's kind of my pastime at the moment while I'm trying to find because I, I don't think it's something that, that that many people do. So it's a hard word. I like to the, the best way to describe it is that all the music that I use, exactly like you were saying, I try to find the nice slow pieces of piano usually covers of classical covers of music and I try to give people that different rhythm where a lot of time with magic I think that magic's considered to be quite um, or can be considered to be quite cheesy but I'm, I wanted to try and give people something that, that slowed everything down and that, that gave them something beautiful that they watch and they don't necessarily yeah. come away from it going oh my god that blew my mind or that that did this or that did that they come up with and go that was beautiful 
and or really the, the the biggest compliment that I've ever received and it's probably only happened maybe seven times in my career so far where someone has come up to me after a show and said I cried during that act because we the, because the emotion the music is right it's slow and the the movements are perfect and they can see what it means to me which means that they know that it's important and when they come up to me and say that I I take that as like the biggest compliment ever because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm not saying I'm trying to make my audience cry. That's not the, you know, that's not the point. But what I wanted to try and do is show them that that magic, like any other art form, can give people different emotions. And it doesn't need to just be comedy magic because I knew I wasn't very good at that. It doesn't just need to be jaw-dropping stage illusions, which, you know, I do do some of with the big fire and the lights and the bang yeah, yeah, yeah. and this. That's amazing. But I also wanted to show them that there's this other side where like a moment in a film or like a moment in a play, that it can bring a tear to your eye and it, it can have more meaning than just this is a card trick. You know, as much as I grew up loving card tricks, I'll always love card tricks. But to me, pick a card, it goes back in the deck and there it is. It's a trick. Whereas if I can do something on stage that shows that conveys my emotion and my feelings towards the audience, then that's a memory, that's a moment, you know, that's something that they can be, and you know, before I perform my act, my, my main act, the one that, that I love the most, my balloon act, you know, I will stand backstage for a few seconds, take a couple of deep breaths and know that what I'm about to, I want that each time that people see that, they know how important that act is to me because I've spent five years working on it. It's completely original and I've, I've developed it. So I want them to know how important that is to me. And I would never want to go out on a stage and just go through the motions of it because once you do that, you've lost it. And it's really, uh, apologies if that didn't answer the question no, so it, much, it, it but it it's really difficult to describe. I just basically want to try and show people that magic can have different side to making you laugh or making you scream oh my god i wanted to give them that that side that you get when you watch an emotional film that that all magic shows or all shows in general need a little bit of all of those things you yeah. know they need the little bit of comedy they need the oh my god mind-blowing and then they need that moment that goes oh my god that touched me on a different level i mean you look at like the avengers you know being one of the biggest film franchises ever at those times you are laughing your head off at that film you know there's some amazing points of comedy in that film then you go from the moments of pure big drama the massive fight scenes but you've also got the moment when they're holding tony stark you know yeah. on the floor looking down into his eyes that makes every guy well up <laughs> you know to while yeah. while not telling their girlfriends you know turning their head away <laughs> because it's an emotional moment every good show every good film every good play needs that and i think i kind of try my best to give that in my magic yeah Hopefully no you answered it perfectly it was a great answer no i totally get what you mean and i love that you're trying to explore all those areas in magic and and make it more nuanced because as you say like if you know the best films the best art invokes emotions of, of a range of emotions yeah well it's you know exactly like you said every art because art reflects life and life yeah. isn't always happy that's the no. truth of it it doesn't mean it's not amazing you know there's not you, you know life isn't always happy and i do also believe that that stronger emotion is also the the strongest emotion you can feel. You can laugh for a couple of minutes and then you can kind of carry on. And I'm not saying that anything bad about comedy. I love comedy. You know, I watch yeah. it all the time. But you can laugh and, you go, <laughs> and then you go, okay, yeah, I'll carry on with my day. But when you have something that really moves you, when you hear a great song or a great poem or you, you see a great piece of theatre that really makes you go, oh my God. And it, it changes you for the rest of the day, yeah. I think. And I think it's a, a stronger moment. You know, I'm not Absolutely. sure if you've ever seen the... There's an amazing show called In and of Itself that was in America, in New York, and it's in essence a magic show. But the emotion he portrays, the the um, I'm gonna absolutely butcher his name, but Derek Delgadio, I believe that's how you pronounce it. But the emotion he portrays in that show, it makes you sit there and it makes you think, you know. And I couldn't really sleep properly for three days watching oh, that, wow. after watching that I've, show I've not, because I've it not makes seen you. It. Yeah. yeah, it's on Hulu. Hulu is that how you say it? Hulu. Yeah, it's, it's on Hulu. Uh, I'll send you a link to it later. Amazing. We can maybe link that in the show notes as well. quick fire questions in a minute but the last sort of main thing i want to ask you was just about your stage name which is uh, mr wonderful 
I just wondered how that came about. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know if you'd asked me that. I didn't know if you knew that. I hadn't told you. So I did my so, research. Um, I did my research. Don't worry. That, that's great. I, I'm, a, that. I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. I, thank you for asking that because it's genuinely one of my favorite stories. So the name Mr. Wonderful came out. It's not as egotistical as it sounds. Okay. <laughs> like that's what, that's how I always have to, I have to justify the name because it sounds like I'm just calling myself amazing and wonderful. And it's, it's not the case. Basically when I was growing up, my grandmother didn't like my name. Uh, she okay. didn't like the name Taylor. Um, I'm not sure why, but she didn't like the name Taylor. And for a while, when I was first born, she used to call me Tiger instead of Taylor. Oh, I love that. Yeah, uh, I think you know she she's quite a stern woman. My grandmother, you know, mm. you'd, uh, you you know if she feels a way about something, she feels she she won't she won't hesitate to say it. And eventually, as I was growing up, you know, I'm ridiculously close with her and always really have been throughout my life. She started calling me Mister Wonderful when I was a child, you know, really oh. young, sort of two or three. And she used to, she says this always like hilarious thing of, she'd look at me and, you know, when I'm just learning to talk sort of, and she'd kind of look at me and go, who are you? And I'd kind of look shyly at the floor and just go, Mr. Wonderful like that. And, you know, she tells this amazing story and it's great. And uh, it happens probably she called, you know, she kind of always kind of said, oh, he's my Mr. Wonderful he is. And, and I kind of forgotten about it. And she came out to see me in my first year performing in Spain. We're all talking after the show with the cast of the show and I kind of go off to get a drink and she starts telling the cast this story about Mr. Wonderful and, and that she'd called me it. And obviously my friends are looking, you know, wide-eyed, big Cheshire grins, laughing their heads off at this story of me being called Mr. Wonderful. And they loved it. And I didn't even really realise that the conversation was going ahead. And one of my great friends, another Scottish guy, Liam Devine, he basically loved this you know he loved the story found it hilarious and went to the compare of the show that the next night and told them you know when you introduce taylor introduce him as mr wonderful <laughs> say mr wonderful taylor morgan and i still had no idea about this at the time the light came on me you know i, I went to take my kind of you know my, my welcome to the show and you know mr wonderful taylor morgan came across the <laughs> microphone and i was livid i really really was i was so angry about it because I didn't see it at the time. I was like, that's so unprofessional. You can't do that. You know what I mean? You can't just call me anything you want to do. Blah, blah, blah. And they're all obviously laughing. It was, it was a great joke in the atmosphere there at the House of Illusion. And they're kind of having a laugh. They're joking around about it. And I'm, you know, I, I genuinely was quite, quite angry about it. And then later that year is when I really, really started developing my character. And Alexander Wells helped me with this and, and Rodney and other people they helped me and we, we kind of developed this character of this kind of, you know, English gentleman. I, I kind of saw it as a Kingsman-esque character is what I was trying to create. I watched the film Kingsman. I truly Very loved good it. film. Really good film, actually. Brilliant film. Yeah. Brilliant film. It shows you how you can bring something like that into the 21st century. As Absolutely. An amazing gentleman who could still do amazing things. And that's what I saw my character yeah. as. Someone who can dress elegantly, look the part, but still do these amazing things and not just a kind of useless arist aristocrat almost to be. Um, yeah. But... It's a great, great, great film. But I kind of, uh, when we were developing this character, they'd started calling me Mr. Wonderful. They'd never stopped because they found it hilarious. And then I turned around and realised, really, one day when, when working on things with Rodney and other guys, it fitted what I did perfectly. You know, I was Mr. Wonderful. I did things that... I just wanted to share wonderful things with people. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about me being that great guy. It was more about, I'm going to show you something wonderful. I want to share with you something that I believe is wonderful and I think is amazing. And I really hope you feel the same way about it. And it just, from there, it stuck. And because of the meaning behind it, I now could not have more pride than to walk out onto the stage under that name because I know the story behind it. Do you know what I mean? And I will yeah. always think about my grandmother and always, she, you know, she's one of the most important people in my life, yeah. in my life. And I travel around a lot. I don't get to see her anywhere near as much as I'd love to be able to, but it gives me a little bit of feeling that I still, you know, she's there with me. I, I get that. And, and I'll, I'll, you know, I will keep that for as long as I live. It will, it will be there, you know, and for me, that's the most important thing. When you're developing a character, there's no use in trying to develop something that I want it to be. It needs to be something that I actually am. You know, there's nothing yeah. worse than someone who wants to be something that they're quite clearly not because the audience will never, never interact with it. They'll never agree with it. They'll never enjoy it because, you know, you have someone who's stood there trying to be the, air quotes, lady killer or the, you know what I mean? The, the smooth, suave, sophisticated. If that's not them as a person, then 
that's not going to be who they're going to be. You need to be something that is a reflection of yourself. And yeah. I truly love sharing these amazing moments with people. And that's kind of how my character formed on its own. You know, as much as the time I've spent, and I have spent a lot of time sat writing in a notepad trying to develop that character. But really, those things, unfortunately, like we, we were talking about earlier, the best way to do anything is just to do it over and over again. And eventually it develops on its own. And then Mr. Wonderful just became the tagline that stuck to it. Yeah. And it's probably one of the happiest accidents of my life. And I'll always thank the guys that, you know, thought it was hilarious joke because, it, you know, it, it goes into my brand. Everything I do now is wonderful. You know, my new my new stage show is called Wonderful Moments because by putting that out, it means that I get to, it's a little thing that I know. No one else is going to know why it's called that, you know, but for me, I do. And, I love um, you know, it, it's also a story that I'm hoping to refine and share with people on stage, you know, because I think that, again, you know, a little bit of honesty, a little bit of humanity in theatre always helps people like you i'd love to be able to tell that story i just need to find the right piece of magic to go with it to tell that yeah. story because it's it's a great story no i love that's a, that is a great story I'm, I'm very glad i asked you that now no it's great i love i love the background of the name and and as you say authenticity is very important especially in making a character so that's brilliant thank you very much for sharing that oh thank you for asking well, I've got some quick fire questions. These are just kind of more fun, like just like kind of silly ones about magic stuff. But my first one is, and yeah, I, think you ma- I think it might be the same answer you gave earlier, but do you have a favorite film about magic? Uh, yeah, I do, but it's it's not the one I gave oh, earlier. Okay. Um, the, my favorite film about magic is called The Prestige. I'm not oh, sure I've, I've never actually seen it. It's on my list. I've been meaning this oh, man. so long. It is. It's not just about magic. It is one of the best films I've ever seen. You know, it's mm. truly amazing. Christopher Nolan directed it, which you already know is going to be amazing. The actors in it are all top tier and it's about magic, but it's yeah. it's not about magic. You know, there's there's a great storyline, a great twist in it. And it is just truly one of the best films that's, in my opinion, ever been made. It's great. That's kind of the official answer. There's also a film called The Incredible Bit Wonderstone. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen I'm that. Not heard of, no, I'm not heard of it, but I will look oh, up. Well. It's horrific, but it's great. <laughs> it's a film that's more kind of about the cheesy side of magic. And it stars Steve Carell as The Incredible Bit Wonderstone. And Jim Carrey's in it as well. But no one really knows about the film. It's really, I don't think it did very well. But for a magician, it's hilarious. And basically, like, Bit Wonderstone is this, like, kind of old 80s-styled entertainer in vegas and then jim carrey plays basically what is a ripoff of chris angel um i don't know if you know chris angel the magician but he does like dark magic and like at one point in the film like jim carrey you know gets someone to punch him in the face and then he cuts open his eye and pulls the card out of it but it's all very cheesily done it's great it's you know it for a good laugh at like how cheesy things are it's great you know but as an actual film the prestige just oh, you've got to watch it man you've got <laughs> when you watch will. it send me a message we'll I talk will, about I'll, it it's, I'll it's let great. You know. I'll let you know. Yeah. Well, my next question is, do you have like a favourite place you'd performed at? What's your best performance you feel you'd ever done? Oh man, uh, I, I don't really know. Do you know, I've been able to perform at some really, really amazing places. The last place I performed was the oldest indoor circus in the UK. Oh wow. Uh, it's been around, yeah, the building's been there for like 250 years. You know, the, the, the feet that have been on that stage rival none you know there's been some amazing performers performed there and it was a great feeling to be there it's also a massive room with you know a big audience uh, i performed in loads and loads of places like that but for me it's the house of illusion in in slew because yeah. it's not the biggest audience you know it's 200 people but it's the place that i can look back and go and learn everything you know yeah, and yeah. the first time i took my act on stage it it was there so for me nothing will ever rival that place you know as much as i love you know, I love the other places I've performed. You know, we did a, a show on the beachfront to like 3,000 people once. Like, that's amazing. That's such a big feeling. But nothing rivals the feeling of going out on that stage for the first time with my act, nervous as hell, don't know how it's going to go. And, you know, nothing will ever beat that. No, that's great. No, I love that answer. Well, another question is, and I think, again, you might have already answered this, but what's your favourite magic trick that you perform? Yeah, I think I mentioned it once or twice. Yeah. It's the only thing I talk about. <laughs> I know, no, I saw um, that. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's so, you know, my, my kind of main act, which is the act that I'll be competing later this year in the European Championships, is is my balloon act. And it's effectively, it's a balloon that levitates around the stage, it flies up and down over the audience, and it pops and showers me with confetti. There's loads of kind of different pieces to it. But it was the first thing that I ever created on my own. And I ever, uh, well, I say on my own, nothing's ever on my own. I've had so much help from so many people. Yeah. But I've, I've created the concept of it. And it sounds cheesy and sounds terrible to say, but I had a dream mm-hmm. about it. And I woke up and drew it in a notepad. I had this dream of me standing on stage with a red balloon. And that's what I wanted <laughs> it to be. And yeah, it sounds terrible. It sounds like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, you did. But I genuinely did, you know. No, and then it took me. <laughs> it took me two years after that point 
of working on it to finally get it ready to go on stage. And then once it did, you know, it when it went on stage, it still was nowhere near where it needed to be, you know. And it's just been a constant work of development. I've been doing the app for four years or so now, or three, three or four years. And, I, you know, I was working on it yesterday, changing things. Yeah. Because I love it that much. It's just the one piece that for me, if someone said you can do one trick for the rest of your life, that's it. Yeah. You know, there's no 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 kind of that's uh, comparison. Well, the thing, lots of people have dreamt, you know, their big ideas. Like Paul McCartney uh, dreamt, let it be. He said he, he in a dream, his mum said it to him. And yeah, that's how you got the song Let It Be. So that's that's great. That's a great story. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. But yeah, it's I think it's because, you know, at the end of the day, I think if you're when you become, you know, again, in air quotes, a creative person, you start looking at things in a completely different light and everything you see then becomes a facet of your art form. You know, if yeah. I look at whenever I pick anything up, I'm looking at how I could do something magical with that or how, you know, when I hear a great story, I'm thinking that's amazing. I'd love to be able to tell that on stage because you hear these, you know, that that's kind of how you start to think. And that's why it does leak into your dreams because you're constantly thinking about it. So, you know, once you, you know, when you go to sleep, your brain's no different. You're still thinking about it. I've got my, the last of the quickfire questions is just who are you, like your ma- biggest influences as a magician? Like who do you really look up to? Wow, oh, man, there's so many, so many truly amazing people. I think two of the the kind of the biggest names and the biggest stars that I would say I looked up to really was is Penn and Teller because how could you not? Um, yeah. Those guys are truly amazing, and they, again, they did things very similar. They do things their own way. They love, you know, they love what they do and they don't care if people don't like it. You know, they've, they've come into a lot of controversy in their time, but they do it that what they love. You know, on top of that, there's a few names that, that people probably wouldn't know of acts and magicians that I've seen that I will always, you know, think are absolutely amazing. There's a magician called Hector Mancha who does a, a manipulation routine, which is just out of this world. And, you know, this sort of routine that you watch and you go, I want to be better. But really the big one is the show that I mentioned earlier and it's only recently kind of come into my life. I've, I only watched the show maybe five months ago or so, um, six months ago, but it genuinely has changed the way yeah. I feel about and look about our magic that um, Derek Delgado is in and of itself. It is just out of this world it's a yeah. show that no one you know no, no, nothing nothing rivals it that i've ever seen but it was it's truly amazing so that would probably he would be my most recent influence but coming up through throughout my career definitely you know people like Penn and teller and then also the people that i've met along the way you know that i think that more more you know that i'm lucky enough to call friends they've been a massive influence on me you know that i've looked up to in that time as well yeah thank you well you'd named a lot of people in this episode which have inspired you anyway so like i appreciate that and a good answer as well. It's one of the things that I think that's that's quite important is that I like to be able to say as much as possible, like where the people that help me are, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that there's too many times where people go, I'm here now and that's it. And not that I'm, you know, in any way kind of, you know, made it, but it's nice that, to know that for, for those people that put the time in and gave the time to me, that I'd like to at least be able to, to tell everyone that they gave yeah. the time to me and not not then suddenly start saying that I did it all on my own because in no way that I ever did, you know what I mean? So the, those those guys that I've already mentioned, those those are the, the guys that helped me get here. Absolutely. And like I think as a creative, having people around you is, is so important. And this is a team game. I always say that this is a team game. Like, being creative is all about being collaborative and I think you need those people around you. So it's very important. Yeah. Do you know one of the biggest things I think that's hard in this world and especially in the magic world, but I, I'd imagine it happens all around is that when you see something that's amazing in the magic world or in any, any world, you automatically assume the person who's heading it is the person who's done that. Yeah. And I think that makes it really, really difficult to live up to. So say, for example, another amazing performer that I love to watch, Darren Brown. Darren Brown is obviously arguably one of the, the greatest, certainly the greatest mind readers of all time. Yeah, what he yeah. does is amazing and he's influenced an entire generation of people, right? You watch Darren's show. It's one man stood on the stage for, you know, an hour. It is, you know, one of the best hours you'll ever spend. It's a great time. And I think it's easy then to try and compare ourselves to Darren Brown yeah. by going, 
oh, I can never create something as good as Darren. Look, look how good Darren. And don't get me wrong, the guy is absolutely amazing. But he has a team of people to help him do yeah. that. And once you start learning, exactly like you said, once you start learning, this is a team game. It's it, you know, this is not a you know a, a first to the post race for one man. This is a team game, and the more people that you can get on your side the better, whether it's just the contacts you make to get into the places or, you know, when you're looking at writing something and you give it to someone that you trust and just go, hey, can you have a look at this? And then one day you might be lucky enough to have a whole production team that when you're, you're making a show. But I think it's too easy to beat ourselves up because we've seen something that we feel like was created by one man, but, you know, in no way was it. Or also something that feels like, you know, one of Darren's shows, the way it ends and the way you see it, that doesn't just come out of a notebook. You know, he doesn't just sit down, write that, and then do it. It's written, it's worked, it's changed, it's worked, it's changed, it's worked, it's changed over a year or however long. Exactly. And yeah. again, it's hard to think sometimes that Derek Delgado show that in and of itself, you know, that show, you can see the work that's gone into it and the people that have, that have helped produce it. But it's one of those things that there's no way that you could, you watch that. And it honestly, I watched it and it made me not want to perform magic anymore because I looked yeah. at it and went, that was the most best thing I've ever seen. But then really then when, when you sit and think about it, you know, the, the work that would have gone into that, it just inspires you to work harder, Absolutely. which I think is the important thing. That's so, in, that's so interesting and so important. And I love the way you, you put that. That's great for the listeners to hear as well. Yeah. And I think another thing just to add to that quickly is there's enough success to go around. I think a lot of people seem to think if what, someone's successful, they almost get jealous and they're like, oh, well, I'm not, there's enough success for everyone. I truly believe that we can, if we all work together as artists, there's enough success for everyone. And I think the, the biggest part of that as well is supporting each other, you yeah. know, because at the end of the day, we don't have anyone else, you know, like we have got our own kind of friendship groups and our own work. And especially a lot of, you know, again, what magic or what all, all art forms really do. So we work on our own quite a lot, you know, yeah. we work kind of, uh, I know as an actor, probably you work more with, with, with screen, people, screen, but, screenwriter. Um, yeah. Screenwriter, sorry. No, you're good screenwriter. But um, also this podcast, you know, you, yeah. you work, on your own for this you know i would assume that obviously you, you told me earlier you had an editor and things like that yeah. but these ideas these questions that you've you know that you've been amazing asking me today you've Thank had you. to sit and write those and research that on yeah. your own and then it's so when you do that the least thing that your friends and people that support you can do or, or you know or that support me or that support anyone is share it online say hey this is an amazing thing that my friend is doing and you should be proud to do that not not upset or jealous that they're that they're yeah. maybe doing better than you that month but you know what next month you might have an amazing job that, and they you know theirs has ended and that that's how and the more that we can support each other the more that we can work you know push forward as a whole art form of creative not not about magic or screenwriting or acting or anything you know it's it's about a group of creatives that are going to push together together you know, push absolutely. forward together. Absolutely, that's that's brilliantly put as well. Just get a real well, we're nearly at the end of the, the conversation, Taylor. I appreciate you giving us your time. But one of the questions we ask him that comes on the uh, podcast is, what's the worst part-time job you'd ever worked or had to work to sort of support your art? We sort of ask this because I think as artists, we all have to work jobs to sort of pay the bills. And I think it's really good for people to hear that everyone does it and everyone has funny experiences of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, to be honest with you, so uh, I've been really, really lucky that since since when I moved to Spain, that's when I went full-time as a magician yeah. and I was really lucky that I had that contract that that allowed me to, to get through all of that but before that I did touch on kind of skateboarding earlier I yeah. worked at a skate park for five years kind of coming up oh, through nice. that time and I would teach skateboarding sometimes I teach scootering sometimes and then other times I'd be in the kitchen flipping burgers <laughs> and it's not like oh my god the worst job I can have because at the time I loved skateboarding I loved being at the skate park loved the people I worked for so it was a great job for me and, you know, I'll always thank those guys. I loved it there. But there is nothing worse and nothing harder than I think than when you want to do something and you want to be a performer, but you're stuck, you know, flipping burgers every day. Like, that's really, really difficult. And um, I know kind of one kind of a story I'll give you from from the time that we were there. There wasn't so much the bad about the job, but we used to do kind of like kids' birthday parties on the weekend. You know, the kids would pay to rent out of the skate park like this. yeah. yeah. And me and my friend were running the, the session where we were kind of teaching some skateboarding and there was this group of kids in there and they were just absolute nightmares. Like they were just going crazy. <laughs> and I just never forget this, that at one point, my friend was sat at, again, typical state skater, he had a hat on, you know, kind of hoodie up, hat on. We were sat like, you know, doing some skating and some teaching in this session. And this, this group of kids, I mean, they may have, were seven or eight years old. They pulled this hoodie down, they pulled his hat off 
and started taking the piss out of his hair. They started just kind of, uh, you know, like going on at his oh, hair and laughing at him. Oh, is it looking at it? It's all muppy. Why would you laugh like that? It's just kid. I remember sitting there and just being like, oh man, this is, I've had enough of this. You know, I've had enough of, uh, of working with, with kids in this facet and things like that. But um, yeah, it wasn't. So it wasn't so much I ever, I ever had a, a bad job to support my art, but there was certain, there's certainly times and it's, you know, it's nothing harder for people than when you're trying to support what you do and you've got a, you know, you still got to get up and do, do something else every day. It's really, really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Taylor, can I just say thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast and chat. I've absolutely loved this conversation with you. You've been you've been great. I've honestly learned lots about magic, which I didn't know. It's just been a real joy talking to you. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jamie. I, you know, I really genuinely do do appreciate it because, you know, at the moment, unfortunately, I haven't got a lot of places where I can be creative because of the, the way the lockdown rules are going on. So, you know, even just coming on and talking to someone about it, it really does, you know what, you know, it gave me something to do today that I wasn't, you know, that I probably wouldn't have done. <laughs> and um, and it, it was amazing. And as I said, you know, I, uh, in preparation, I listened to, uh, listened to some of your podcasts back and, they're, they're, you know, what you create is truly amazing. You should be really proud of yourself. That oh, thank you, you've given, given people who, who want to be creative uh, a place to to learn about how that is possible you know and i think that's something that you know you should be you should be proud of and, and keep up oh thank you very much it means a lot i very much appreciate that um and i hopefully can keep growing this project and potentially even get you back on one day when you've done more stuff if you're ever touring in scotland or anything we can come and see your show yeah, as well. definitely well i'm 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 set i want to i want to do the fringe i'll be up to oh, do the fringe. probably not this year because i think yeah. it's gonna be a weird year but next year I've got Definitely. so many friends in Scotland like literally more of my friends are in Scotland than they are anywhere else in the world but yeah so I'm, I'm dying to do the fringe we're going to aim to um, come up hopefully in 2022 and do that in that would um, be amazing in, in August well Taylor just to quickly end the podcast on we always sort of like our guests to summarise what they've been saying and just sort of what advice they would offer to anyone who's maybe at the start of their careers or creative but particularly any sort of young magicians that may be listening what would you like to say to them wait till COVID's over <laughs> no i'm joking do you know what the the only thing is and I, i've said it a couple of times already and it's the most cop-out answer but it's just the truth is you just have to get out there and perform like it's the only thing that gets you to be at any level is putting your ten thousand hours in you know that's what they say it takes to master something like yeah, I would argue with magic that it takes way, way more because there's so many different things to learn. But yeah. with any industry, you have to put your time in. And, you know, for any young magician, I would always advise, you know, trying to get over to the House of Illusion and performing there because it's an amazing place where you get to continually perform every single day. You know, we did 350 shows in six months. That's how yeah. we used to work, which is, you know, it's an amazing number. And, in, you know, in four years, you, you've done over 1,200 shows in four years. It would take a lot of performers a long, long time to do that amount of shows. Yeah. Even if you just did one a week, you know, it would take a long, long time. And, um, you know, that's the best thing. And the, the same for the creatives. I mean, something that I'm, you know, looking at doing myself now, it's been a long time since I've performed properly um, because of the, the restrictions and the rules that have been in place. So, you know, as of the 12th of April, they're opening up again, outdoor shows. I'm going to put together a little street show and just go down and just perform it. And if people want to stop and watch, they can. If they don't, that's fine as well. But it's just a way for me, A, to practice and B, to share with, even if two people stand and watch me, yeah. two people, then I've shared shared something that I love with two people that day. And that's all I care about. And again, it's, you know, if I do three a day for a week, you know, that's another 20 shows that makes me 20 shows better than I was the week before, you know, it's, yeah. it's that sort of thing, you know, and that, that's, that's what I think it is as much as I, I always hated that answer because when I was coming up as a young magician, I was like, how do I get better? You know, I want this, the secret key, you know, you want that yeah. key of going like, Oh, can I just unlock, you know, can I just unlock it? Can I just buy a course and I'll just be better? But unfortunately it's, it's not the case. And that's why, you know, our industry's uh, so difficult to crack into because you've just got to get out there and do it. Absolutely. I think, I think that's great advice. Thank you very much, Taylor, for your time. I very much appreciate it. Jamie, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate what you do. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to more podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Just Get A Real Job. A massive thank you to Taylor again for chatting to us and a massive thank you to all the listeners for listening. If you want to find out a bit more about Taylor and what he does, there's links to Taylor's Instagram and website in the show notes. And just another reminder, as I said in the intro, we need your help to grow. And the best ways you can help us, if you haven't already, is, is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, 
sharing us on social media, telling friends and family to listen. And if you can afford to, you can support our Patreon page as well. And there's a link to that in the show notes. But as I always say, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support this month. It's been another great month. We put out five great episodes. I'm so happy with what we're doing. I love doing this. I love every minute of it. Thank you very much for your support again this month. And we'll be back again with another episode of Just Get A Real Job. Stay safe, folks. Just get a real